Sí. Very happy, healthy, and holy new year to everybody. Welcome to our guests. Glad that you're here. And as always, welcome to those of you joining us online. And we hope you'll be able to join us in person very soon. How many uh, pet people we got here? How many have dogs? Dogs. Let me see all the do- Oh, a lot of dog people. How about cats? Okay, you're, you're still welcome. Uh, how about fish people? I like those quiet pets. All right. Uh, birds. The loud ones. Okay. Uh, how about uh, gerbils, hamsters, reptiles? Anything else other than that? Okay, yeah? What do you got? What? Horse? I thought that's what you said. You got a horse? Wow, all right. That's some heavy-duty animal care right there, right? Wow, well, we have a dog, a little dachshund, as some of you know, named Chewy, short for Chewbacca. Uh, before that, we had a big dog named Jedi Knight, and uh, we also had a fish called Darth Maul, so you kind of see a Star Wars theme running through our family. But when I was a little kid, uh, we had a couple of German Shepherds, Smokey and Happy, and then we got a cockapoo uh, named Cinnamon. Then as a teenager, I got my first dachshund named Killer. Uh, got married, inherited my wife's family's dog, Cindy, and uh, had other pets too, had uh, Newt's. <laughs> a little crab, they didn't last very long. Uh, neither did my childhood cat, Tiger. One morning he crawled up into the car engine. We heard and smelled real bad. So that was the end of Tiger. Um, thing is with, with uh, oh, and I should mention our son had a gerbil. And my favorite prank when people came over to the house was to come out and say, you want to see the gerbil? And I'd throw it on him, which was, you know, just a rolled up ball of socks, but it gets him every time. Yeah, so we love our pets, right? They're like a part of the family. But we can also have a little bit of a love-hate relationship, like when Chewy wakes me up at three or four in the morning by flapping his ears so he'll go outside, right? I can go real quick from, you stupid dog, why don't you just run away? In a moment, I can turn, oh, little puppers, you're such a good boy, right? Am I the only one that does that? I can just... Pets are a pain, but they're also, you know, a blessing in a lot of ways as we bond with them. They uplift our spirits. They provide some companionship, but they're also very costly. Yours especially, right? (laughs) Uh, I mean, our pets eat better than many of the people in this world. You know, they're cared for better than so many other. In fact, I saw a survey not too long ago that said, if you were given a choice between saving your drowning pet or saving a stranger, a person, two-thirds of people said, I don't know, or they would choose their pet. So folks, you need to hear this message today because human life in our culture is being more and more devalued uh, because people don't understand what it means to be human. They think, well, we're just animals. We're more advanced animals, but we're really no different than animals. So we're going to answer a lot of questions today about, does God value animals? Are we more valuable than animals. I mean, do animals have rights? Should we be hunting them? Should we be eating them? Do they go to heaven? So we'll get into all that, but let's start with the most basic question. How should we view animals? 
Well, let's go back to the very beginning. God created animals before and differently than humans. We see back at the beginning of the book of Genesis, the beginning of humanity, it says this. God said, let us make man, that is humans, in our image after our likeness. And let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man, here it is, in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and, and what? Subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. All right, so what makes us different than the animals? It's the image of God within us. They don't have that. Yes, we have a physical body, which is meant for this world, but we also have a spirit that is meant for another world, for the heavenly realm, which is not someplace above us geographically, but dimensionally. So humans are creatures, but we are a unique unity of body and spirit. Our bodies are, are for here, but uh, there's these other creatures called angels, and we're going to talk about them next week, and I hope you'll invite somebody for that. They are purely spiritual creatures. They don't have physical bodies. They have a form, uh, but when they, they come to the earth, they might appear in, as humans, with a physical appearance, but they are spiritual creatures. Animals, though, have a physical body like us because they are meant for this world. We are different from angels. We are different from animals. I mean, we have some things in common. Uh, you could say animals have souls as we do in the sense that we're alive. You know, we're aware. We have consciousness. We have personalities, emotions. We can be taught. Animals can do that, but they don't have that spirit, that image of God. You know, ever since Darwin put forth his theory of evolution, that distinction has been broken down. It's been undermined and undercut to make us think that, that animals are no different, that we're just evolved animals. And some extremists would say that we all have the same intrinsic value, whether you're, you know, a cockroach or a puppy or a human. It's all the same thing. But we are not just evolved animals. We are so much more than that, we'll get into that when we talk on the week about cavemen, but studies in animal behavior do show that animals are like us in a lot of ways that we assumed in the past only humans had these kinds of traits like the intelligence to solve problems. Animals can do that too. They're making tools or using language or sign language or experiencing humor or uh, even having a basic sense of morality. We've seen that in monkeys and in dolphins and in parrots. Um, but does that mean then that that image of God in us is meaningless? Well, absolutely not. Just means we need to be more cautious in how we describe the image of God. We need to be more precise in saying that the image of God is personhood. God is a person, not as in Star Wars, an impersonal force. And he made us to be persons like him. Any creature who is a spiritual being, whether angelic or human, uh, is a person, which means we have this self-consciousness as a person who's aware of other persons and can relate to them as persons. What that means is it includes the intellectual capacity to use wisdom and logic and discernment and reason. It means to plan and to think abstractly. It involves using verbal language, not just... Uh, you know, grunts and howls and squeaks and squeals and squawks. It also includes volition 
as opposed to just instinct, that is that we have free will to, uh, for self-determination and we understand the consequences of those ethical choices we make. We have this moral conscience where we sense right and wrong and we experience guilt and shame. It means having the creative capacity that our creator God has with innovation and invention and um, artistic ability and appreciating beauty. Now, do animals share those qualities? Yes, some do to some degree, but far lesser than we have. And one thing that they do not share with us is that spiritual or religious capacity to have a consciousness of God, to worship Him, to understand dependence upon Him. So we would ask, what does our human dominion mean? Well, it means we're not just a part of this planet, we are actually over it. We are in charge of it. The world was created for us. And so we are the final culminating creation of God. We are the pinnacle of creation and it was all made for us and he has given us dominion over the world, over everything in it, because he has equipped us and us alone with his image. He has put us in charge. Now God is the ultimate authority. He is the sovereign over everything, but he has delegated some of his authority to us because we have his image. So we are able to rule over, to subdue it. Even Adam uh, had the authority to name all the animals. So in this superior role we're in with the animals subjugated to us, does that mean that we are you know, practicing speciesism? No, it just means that God has created a hierarchy where we are in charge, where um, we have mastery. And David marveled at this in Psalm 8. He says, what is man that you, God, are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. So with that charge comes responsibility to care for what God has entrusted to us. We are the managers, we are the stewards of all those natural resources that he's provided us. They're first for his glory and then for our good. So we are put in charge to be caretakers and to tend to those things as God would himself. So our big idea is humans should exercise dominion of animals humanely. Humanely. You know, God actually used animals in many places for his purposes, right? I mean, back in the plagues on Egypt, right? He sent frogs and flies and locusts. He used a donkey to protect Balaam and actually to speak to Balaam to confront his sin. He sent ravens to feed the prophet Elijah. And then he sent a chariot of horses to take Elijah up into heaven. He closed the mouths of lions to protect Daniel. He sent a great fish to swallow Jonah and then to spit him out. And when Jesus returns one day, he's going to be descending from the skies riding a white horse. So does God value animals? Yes. In fact, Penny and I recently got to travel down to Kentucky to the Ark Encounter, this life-size replica of Noah's Ark. And I want to show you some pictures from our trip. Let's put those on the screen. So it, it just really made us appreciate the Bible comes to life 
and uh, how, how much God put into making sure all the animals would survive every kind of animal, all the logistics and materials and supplies that would be needed for, for housing them and feeding them and watering them and cleaning up after them, all the work that just eight people put into, to eight, or you put into three different decks full of animals. I mean, the logistics of all the watering systems and the feeding systems and the cleaning systems. Can you imagine the smell? Can you imagine the noise? Can you imagine running a zoo 24 hours a day for a year? That's what the ark was. That's how much God cared about those animals. Jesus said in Matthew 6, in fact, everybody say this together with me. Here we go. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Here's the point. Are you not of more value than they? God cares for all of his creatures. So, you know, as God's people, as his stewards, shouldn't we as well care for all the creatures? He also said in Luke 12, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are more what? Valuable than many sparrows. So animals are valued, but you are way more valuable to God. Animals are not people. And I know that may be difficult for some of you to hear because you call them your children, you call them your fur babies, but they are not people. And those who hold a non-biblical or a secular view often devalue human life, which leads down the path of abortion, of euthanasia. Why? Because if we are simply organic, biological matter, then we really are no different from animals. We don't have that kind of inherent sacred value. Our only worth really comes from what we can contribute to this world, at least temporarily. So the unborn, babies, the elderly, the severely sick, uh, disabled cannot contribute at least in a way that, that some people think they should, so they have no real value and therefore are disposable. And we have actually seen this played out throughout history, especially in Marxist, communist, Nazi regimes, as those they deem are not worthy were slaughtered by the millions. It actually happened. But because we are created in the image of God, we have intrinsic eternal value human life is sacred and that's why murder is forbidden by God in Genesis 9 right after Noah's flood he authorized capital punishment for murder he said whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed why for God has made man in his own image and so if one person kills another person they're put to death if an animal kills a person, that animal is put to death. If an animal is killed by a human, the human is not put to death. Why? Because the animal does not have the image of God. So feel free to stomp that spider or poison that rodent if they are harmful or they are threatening you. In fact, this was the exact same time that God authorized animals to be used for food. Now there will some be some people who, again, have an unbiblical or secular view who will call us hypocrites or inconsistent when we say that we're against abortion before capital punishment. They say, well, you should be for all of life. 
what they're missing is the image of God. They're missing the whole point. That innocent human life is to be protected because it's in the image of God. And those who are guilty of killing human life are themselves to be killed. That's how serious the image of God is. So, we might ask, what about rights? Well, don't animals have rights? Well, not in the same way that you and I do. Animals can be used for food. We saw that. They can be used for clothing. God himself took animal skins to clothe Adam and Eve. Uh, they can be used for property or be put to work. But that doesn't mean that we can do whatever we want to them. So we ask, all right, did God, does he mistreat or abuse his creation? Does he, does he do that to animals? No. Is God wise or foolish in the way he deals with it? He's a wise manager. Way back in the book of wisdom, Proverbs, he said, whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast. So a godly person is going to treat animals humanely because God does, not cruelly. I mean, how can somebody who, whose heart has been shaped by the kindness and compassion of Christ even consider treating any creature cruelly? That's why it troubles us so much when children treat animals cruelly because it indicates they're probably going to grow up and treat people cruelly. There's something wrong there. Jesus used the same analogy to say, look, the way you treat animals is the way you're going to treat people. He, he says in Matthew 12, which one of you, he says to the Pharisees, which one of you, you have a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Okay, of how much more, what, value is a man than sheep? And we value domestic animals, but we, we value our pets even more, right? Think about it. When a child uh, takes care of a fish tank, she is acting as the god of that fish tank, right? Because she has created that environment. She provides for them. She protects them. She exercises dominion over them. And, of course, children don't make very good gods, right? Because they make all kinds of promises. Oh, I promise I'm going I'm to feed it. I'm going to water it. I'm going to walk it. I'm going I'm to clean up after it. Yeah, right. That lasts about two days, right? Some couples will get a puppy before they have a child of their own. Like, it's good practice. We'll see if we'll make good parents by, by practicing on that puppy. But I can tell you, it's very different having children than having dogs, right? It's, it's, think about it. If, if your dog attacks your child, what's going to happen? You're going to get rid of the dog, right? Not the child, I hope. If the child attacks the dog, you're not going to get rid of the child. You, you might even have to get rid of the dog. So what I'm saying is, let's go back to that survey. If you had to choose between saving your pet from drowning or saving a total stranger, choose the stranger. It's fine to love your pets, but love people more. They are of so much higher value because they have the image of God. Now, if we're to care for livestock, does that mean we shouldn't be killing them or eating them? Because, you know, some people will choose to be vegetarians, some for health reasons, which is fine. Some will do it because of the way animals can be miserably raised or violently slaughtered. So for those kinds of ethical reasons, and that's fine too. But those are separate issues. Those who say we shouldn't kill and eat animals uh, morally, you know, because it, it's, it's wrong, it's just wrong, that's not a biblical position at all. I mean, it, it seems that at the very beginning, God didn't allow uh, meat. 
because it says he gave plants to Adam and Eve. But certainly after the flood, he allowed eating meat. In fact, in the Old Testament, he declared all kinds of animals okay to eat. Now, there were some that were unclean ceremonially, religiously, they weren't supposed to eat. But he even commanded the Jewish people to eat roasted lamb for the Passover meal. Jesus ate the Passover meal. Jesus ate fish. He was not a vegetarian. But he brought this new covenant and said, okay, no longer do you have those restrictions against which animals you can eat. All animals are clean. You can eat all of them. Just because you can eat all of them doesn't mean you should, though. Right? Like, so take it easy on the bacon and the processed deli meats, all right? And by the way, vegetarians, just so you know, all those vegetables you're eating are full of bug parts. You know that, right? So, well, you know, careful of the inconsistency there. You're eating animals when you eat, eat vegetables. Now, all right, we can hunt animals for food, but how about for sport? It's hard to say. I've got I to tell you, because the Bible really didn't talk about it. It really wasn't a thing back then. People didn't hunt for fun. They hunted for food and for fur. It's kind of more of a modern thing, hunting for fun. So, so I, here, I know I'm in Michigan, and so many people love hunting here. You know, I, I don't hunt. I don't fish. I don't get it. I just, I'm just, my dad, my dad was, but I, I just don't have that temperament to sit around all day waiting for something that might happen, okay? But if you enjoy it, more power to you. In fact, uh, a lot of conf- conservationists would say that it's good to hunt, to, to maintain a healthy animal population, to control that. So all I can say is, look, that's between you and God. It's, it's on your conscience. If you can do it in good conscience, go for it, but make sure you do it as humanely as possible. Uh, scripture doesn't say it's a sin to do it, all right? So, okay, we don't judge each other on those kinds of things. How about making it a species going extinct, though, hunting them to extinction. Well, should we, you know, cause the wanton destruction of any species? Well, no. I mean, there's no point. That's not being a good manager. Um, but even though it's sad to witness the extinction of any species, it's not necessarily evil. Certainly, if it's for the benefit of humans, we don't put the good of animals above humans. Sometimes, you know, that might have to happen. And think about it, um, so many species are simply minor variations. And throughout the millennia, you know, thousands of species have gone extinct. And the world is still here, and we're doing fine. So let's just try to be good managers, but let's not, you know, get our priorities out of order on this. How about using animals for research? There would be some who say it's just wrong to test or experiment on animals, even if it would find a cure for cancer. But I would like to hear them say that if their child were suffering miserably with cancer, I think they would change their tune. We have all benefited from animal experimentation. However, are there better ways to do it? Do we have to experiment in a way that causes needless pain? Are there better ways to butcher than through uh, rough treatment and inducing terror? Uh, are there better ways to raise chickens than to keep them confined in tiny little cages pumped full of biotics sitting in their own waste? Are there better ways than running disease-ridden puppy mills or beating circus animals? Of course, we should choose the better ways. So is joining PETA something to consider? You know what PETA is. PETA stands for the People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. Some of you joke around and say, well, I belong to a different PETA, people eating tasty animals. Okay, that's fine. Um, doesn't matter which one you're talking about. Uh, everybody's got their views, and, and 
PETA is kind of a mixed bag. I mean, they do some good. They stand up for the humane treatment of animals, but be cautious because they also stand for defending the sanctity of life of animals, right? They say meat is murder, but that's not what God says. So they're against things like experimentation. They're against even transportation, like riding horses. But, you know, Jesus himself rode a donkey. So think about back in Israel. I mean, all the thousands and thousands of animals that God commanded to be slaughtered as sacrifices. They, they definitely would have been out protesting that. And I question where PETA people's priorities are when it comes to the higher value of human life. Where are they when it comes to, the, to human life issues like the severe penalties that are, uh, that are put against people who destroy an eagle's egg versus killing a baby in the womb? What about all the, the misery of human trafficking and where human rights abuses are going on? People are suffering. Where are their voices for that? That's the higher value. God values people more because we're created in his image and we are meant to live with him in fellowship forever but because of our sinful disobedience our free will choices to break his laws we have cut ourselves off from God we are under condemnation that's why we need a savior Jesus came into the world to be our sacrifice to die in our place because all the the blood of bulls and goats and lambs throughout the centuries could never truly take away sin only Jesus could do that Only his life could substitute for our human lives. And when Jesus gave his life on the cross, his death meant there would be no more animal sacrifices. They're not needed anymore. He was the final, ultimate sacrifice. No longer would we have to suffer condemnation and hell. We can now experience fellowship with God as he intended at the beginning and live with him forever in the new heavens and the new earth. And my, my, you might ask, do animals sin? <laughs> no, but you and I do because we know better. They don't. They have not been given God's laws as you and I have. God's laws are imprinted on our hearts, on our consciences. Animals don't have that kind of conscience. They don't have that kind of spirit. They don't have moral responsibility. And they have no need for forgiveness. I mean, think about it. When a dog is in heat, it will act on that natural instinct with whatever is around, right? We don't call it bad for doing that. It's just doing what dogs do. When a black widow spider kills and eats her mate, we don't call her evil. It's just doing what animals do. Now, some people try to justify their own sinful actions by saying, well, that's just, I'm just an evolved animal, man. I'm just, I'm just doing what animals do there's no right or wrong no we're different we got the image of God we have the ability to respond to God's laws to exercise restraint but when we don't when we fail then we sin and we need forgiveness humans are the ones cursed for sin and that's why God's son became a human which is what we just celebrated at Christmas time he didn't become an animal he had to become one of us because God's focus is on redeeming humans only Let me ask one more question then. Well, do animals go to heaven? Now, here's where it gets tricky and testy. This is where I don't make any friends by answering this question. Because if Scripture says says anything about it, I've never seen it. I mean, if if animals go to heaven, the Bible doesn't tell us that. It's certainly not explicit on it. In fact, it gives the impression that because they don't have the image of God, they don't have that spiritual nature, then they just cease to exist. 
I mean, think about all the sacrificial animals. Remember, all the sins were transferred to them. So why would God command innocent animals to die as sinners if they had a heaven to go to, if they had spirits? Now listen, that doesn't mean there won't be animals in the new heavens and the new earth. Think about that. Scriptural language talks about that time when uh, lions and wolves will lie down with lambs and, and leopards will, will uh, graze with sheep and uh, uh, you don't have to worry about snakes attacking you and lions are going to be eating straw instead of people or other animals. So maybe there are going to be new kinds of animals, new species. Maybe God's going to bring back the, the, the golden oldies. Maybe you'll have a pet dinosaur. Who knows? But there may be animals there. Or maybe it's just symbolic to show that in heaven there'll be peace because there's no longer any danger or death. There's no sorrow in heaven, which means you're not going to be sad about missing your pet. But I also see no reason if, if it would bring his children pleasure that God could not recreate your beloved pet. Why not? But let's be consistent. Come on. Do you really want all animals in heaven? Really? You want mosquitoes there? Bed bugs? Fleas? Wasps? Centipedes? I don't. So no, no, not the bugs. Well, come on. Where are the bug rights activists, right? No, just, just the cute animals, just the puppies and the kitties and the bunnies. Where are the ugly animals rights activists, right? Why can't they go to heaven too? It, it, it's discrimination, I tell you. I, I, why? Why just certain animals? Think about the zillions and zillions of animals that have died over the, the millennia. You really want all those animals there, especially like the cows that you've eaten. You want to you run into one of those cows that you chewed on? Come on, think about that. All dogs go to heaven though, right? <laughs> no, there are bad dogs. There are some mean, vicious dogs. There are dogs that will yap and yap and keep you up all night. If there's a heaven, then there ought to be a hell too. And I think those dogs, ought to, that's where they ought to go and they have somebody shouting for them at a, for eternity saying, shut up, shut up, shut up. That would be fitting, right? And then cats, well, cats. So the question you should be concerned about is not are dogs or cats or birds or fish going to be in heaven? Are you going to be in heaven? Have you been forgiven of your sins? Are you going to be with God? Because none of us deserve to go there. We're all bad. Bad. You're bad. <laughs> we don't deserve heaven, but we get to go there because God wants us there and has provided a way to get there through forgiveness and Jesus Christ. He offers us immortality. Jesus came to die for you and me, something animals could never do. They can't be a substitute for us. Jesus is the only one qualified because he was fully human, fully divine, and perfectly sinless. He is the sacrifice. He is the substitute. And if you ever question your value or your worth, you don't feel good or worthy or, or valuable to God, think about what he's done for you. He created you because he loves you. He wants you to be with him. He made you in his image. He sent his son to die for you because he wants you in the new heavens and the new earth forever. You are of infinite value to him. So if you'd like to give your life to Jesus Christ, we're going to invite you to do that. This first Sunday of the new year, new beginning, fresh start, clean slate, start following Jesus, repenting of your sins, being baptized into him. We've got water ready every Sunday. In fact, it's ready every day. Any time of day, you can turn your life over to Christ.
We got everything you need on the spot. We got clothes, towels, robes, hair dryers, you name it. I hope you will make the best decision of, your, of, the, of the year, of the millennium, of, of forever by turning to Christ today. If you're online, you can text in or you can email us or you can even do that right now, right here on site. But I'm going to have some folks up here at the front in the next few moments while the music is playing. As soon as I'm done praying, you come up and talk with them. They'll help you take your next step. They'll answer your questions. They'll pray with you, whatever you need to do. If you're already a follower of Christ, a couple other ways you can respond right now is through worshiping and giving, giving back to God. If you're a guest, please don't feel any obligation to give. But if you want to give online through the app or uh, in the give boxes at the back or mail it in, Understand that what you give is going to reach more people for Jesus, like four more who were baptized into Christ just last week. We celebrate that, that lives are being changed, families and marriages are being helped, young people are changing paths, and it's all because of your generosity that makes that possible. So in this new year, will you make a new commitment to grow spiritually and go further in your generosity. Now the way you can respond is through communion. When you came in, hopefully you grabbed one of those little communion kits out of the buckets with the bread and the cup. We do that every week to remind us of the body and blood, the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. It draws us closer to him. It gets our priorities focused. Helps us to understand what life is about. It's, it's all about following him. If you're not a follower of Christ yet, that's fine. Just use this time maybe to, to think about it, to consider it, to pray. But as we eat and drink in the next few moments, um, some of you might walk to the front. Many of you will just remain there taking communion. Understand that we call this the Lord's Supper because it's based on the Last Supper. It was the Last Supper that Jesus shared with his disciples. It was the Passover meal, which meant it was the last true Passover meal of all time. Never again would a lamb need to be sacrificed because Jesus became our sacrificial lamb once and for all. So let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for sending your son into this world. Thank you, Lord. We don't, we don't have to make sacrifices year after year after year. Thank you for being that sacrifice that takes away our sin forever. We know it's not what we deserve and it's, it's, it's so awful that that's what had to move you to leave heaven and come down here and become one of us to rescue us. And how much it cost you in pain in your body, your physical body, but also the suffering in your infinite spirit as you were suffering the equivalence of hell for us all on that cross. Help us to be so moved by that message that we would share it with everybody who needs it. And right now I pray for those who have not received that pardon that they would accept your gift of salvation today through Christ.